Carla Broussard, apologist here at Catholic Answers. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Thanks for having me. Uh, you've written a bunch of uh, wonderful books, including the two, Meeting the Protestant Challenge and then Meeting the Protestant Response. Yep. And so we're going to meet a particular challenge. This one we'll say, we'll call Meeting the Rapture Challenge right. today. All right. Yeah. So essentially, uh, we are faced with this challenge yeah. that... Um, Essentially, the, the the objection to the Catholic teaching is Christians are not going to experience the the difficulties of the time of testing at the end of time. First, there will be this rapture. Uh, so how do we meet that challenge? Yeah. So that's the articulation of the challenge, which I address in my book, Meeting the Protestant Challenge. The idea is how can the church teach that Christians who are still alive are actually going to experience that final trial or push of evil that's yeah. initiated by the Antichrist. The Catechism of the Catholic Church teaches that in paragraph 675. So how can the church teach that when the Bible says otherwise? Ah. So there are some Protestants who will appeal to a particular biblical passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 17, and conclude from that passage that Christians— who are still on this earth right before the time of the final tribulation will be snatched up, caught up in the air yeah. with the Lord. This is known as the pre-tribulation rapture view. There's a variety of different views, but this is the most popular in the minds of folk on the street, right? Yeah. And it was made made very popular with the Tim LaHaye science fiction series Left Behind, right? Yep. And this passage is appealed to by... Uh, Hal Lindsey in his book, There's a New World Coming in the Late Great Planet Earth. Which scared the daylights out of me when I read it <laughs> when I was a teenager. Yeah. And, and the idea is that, you know, this biblical passage teaches that Christians are not yeah. going to experience this final tribulation because they're going to be caught up with the Lord in this secret partial coming of the Lord. And then you'll have that final push of evil and all of the other events uh, will ensue after that. Uh, but the idea is that it would seem that the Catholic Church is teaching something in conflict with what Scripture teaches. So here's the biblical passage. I'll just go ahead and read it okay. to you. Okay, this is from the first letter of the Thessalonians. That is correct. This is what it is often appealed to in support of okay. this pre-tribulation rapture view. So St. Paul writes, For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, we who are left until the coming of the Lord, shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, here it is, shall be caught up together with them and the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. And so for those who will appeal to this passage, Sai, they'll say, well, notice how Jesus comes down partially. It's a part way coming down, right? Yeah, because right. we're caught up with him, with him in right. the air. Yeah. And then secondly, there's no mention of the judgment of the nations here. Oh, right. Like our Lord gives the teaching in Matthew chapter 25, Five, verses yeah. 31 through 46. And so therefore, some will conclude, well, this must be referring to the pre-tribulation rapture, being raptured, caught up with the Lord in the air. So that's the biblical passage that's appealed to. That's the challenge. Okay. So if if that's the challenge, um, it does actually kind of sound like Jesus comes partway down and right. then takes us up with him. So 
how are we going to start to meet that challenge? Yes. So the first way we can meet it is to look at the text very carefully and notice what it does not say. It does not say that Jesus returns back to heaven with those who are caught up with him. It only oh. says he comes and we are caught up with him in the air and that's it. It does not say he oh, returns back to yeah. heaven. That's so a, you're reading into the that's text. That's right. There. It's yeah, a reading into the text, reading right. into the text something that is not there. So it could possibly be a return back to heaven. So, But it could also be he's just coming down and we're being caught up with him to meet him, right? Yes. And so we're going to have to look at the context to see which of those two interpretations is the best interpretation. But of course, if we're going to say that, this brings up the question, well, what does it mean to be caught up with the Lord in the air? Because yeah. that's the key detail yeah. that many of our Protestant friends are basing their conclusion on that it's a partial coming of the yeah. Lord because we're caught up with him in the air. Well, if that doesn't signal yeah. that he's going back and we're going to go back with him, you know, right. the righteous who are left here on earth, well, then what does that mean? Yeah. So if you already have like the Tim LaHaye stuff and that stuff in your mind, right. then you project onto that, that th there's people on the ground who are not caught up. To them, it would just seem like those there's people left, disappear. They're left behind. And then they all those go back to heaven with Jesus. Right. But that's not there. That's not in the text. That's right. Nowhere does it say <clears throat> that Jesus goes back to heaven, but we do have a need to explain this detail. You know, yeah. if, if we're going to interpret this on the view that this is not this partial coming where Jesus goes back to heaven, but Jesus is going to remain here on earth. Well, then how do we make sense of the righteous being caught up with him in the air? And one way that many saints throughout uh, Christian history and the theological tradition have interpreted this is analogous to the ancient custom of citizens ushering in an important visitor, right? Right. And so the idea is that we even do this in our modern day society, right? Yeah. Whenever Pope Benedict came to America, right? The president yeah. goes out on the tarmac, meets the, you know, the Pope yeah. walking off the plane and ushers him in, right? Sounds like Palm Sunday to me. You, you <laughs> That's come a good out, example. You That's come right. out of Jerusalem to bring him Absolutely. in to Jerusalem. That would be a biblical, biblical example yeah. of, her, of how they go out the city walls, they meet Jesus, they usher him in. We also see this in Acts chapter 28. Verses 14 through 15, when the brethren at Rome went out of the city to meet Paul as he was approaching the city. And so the idea here in 1 Thessalonians 4 is when Paul speaks of how the righteous still alive are going to be caught up with the Lord in the air and with all of those others together with them, Paul says, those who are being raised from the dead, we're going to be caught up in the air with them to meet the Lord that is to say, to usher him in yeah. as he's establishing the new heaven and the new earth and the definitive reign of Christ where all evil is vanquished. And so it's a victory parade, right? We're going to meet the king. And in a worse way, we're joining in that victory. Yeah, it's not, Absolutely. It's a, like, Good we, point. We've been invited to participate in the victory procession right. of Christ. Yeah. Right. So uh, first, our first step forward is caught up in the air in no way signifies that Jesus is returning back to heaven. That's not right. in the text. So, but if we're going to go with our interpretation of this is the final coming of our Lord when it's coming down, well, how do we explain this 
caught up in the air. Well, we have a plausible explanation for this detail and how it would fit within our interpretation of the text as it not referring to a pre-tribulation rapture view, but referring to the final coming of our Lord. So we're left with this ambiguity as to which of the two interpretations is the more reasonable and true interpretation of the text. The pre-tribulation rapture view, where Jesus goes back up to heaven with those who are caught up with him in the air, or the other view, our view, the Catholic view, and other Christians as well who would be with us in this interpretation, that this is the final coming of Christ at the end of time to vanquish all evil, yeah. where he's coming to establish the definitive new heaven and new earth. So those are our two alternative interpretation, uh, uh, two possible interpretations. And so because of the ambiguity, we're going to have to look to other details in the context to yeah. try to figure out which is the best. Okay. And so among those details, you already mentioned that in the ancient world, this is a common practice, go out and meet someone coming into the city. But So that would fit, yeah. that fits with our plausible, right. our uh, proposed interpretation. Right. So that detail would not conflict with, with our proposed interpretation, it it at least fits, but it doesn't tip the balance or tip one the, the scale other, right. one way or the other. We're right. going to have to look at some other details. Okay, so you may, uh, you want to look at the the context of the of That's this right. passage of scripture itself. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. So what I do in my book, in this particular chapter in the book, meeting the Protestant challenge, I identify three details in the text that would lead us to the conclusion that this is the second final coming of Christ at the end of time, not a partial coming before the tribulation, the final tribulation, okay? And so the first detail, and I think this is probably the most persuasive, is that notice how Paul speaks of the resurrection of the dead. There in verse 16, uh, he says, yeah. and the dead in Christ will rise First, okay, so, he's, ah, so yeah, he, yeah. he's talking about the coming of the Lord. Right. Granted, all right, we're all in agreement there. And there's this other detail that's in tandem with the coming of the Lord. It's, a, it's essential to, it's associated with the coming of the Lord, namely the resurrection of the dead. So this poses a good question. Hmm. Does Paul elsewhere write about the resurrection of the dead? And in what is it in tandem with? Yeah. Well, if we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 22 through 24, Paul does write about the resurrection of the dead. And guess what it's in tandem with? It's in tandem with the end. So here's what he writes. As in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. There's the resurrection of the dead. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Notice that the resurrection of the dead is associated in tandem with the end right. where Christ is bringing about a definitive victory over evil. Right. Okay, so that's in 1 Corinthians 15, 22 through 24. We come back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 17. He's talking about the coming of the Lord. Right. And he's talking about the resurrection of the dead happening in tandem with the coming of the Lord. Yeah. Well, according to 1 Corinthians 15, that comes in tandem with the end. The end, yeah. So this coming of the Lord in 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17, is the coming of the Lord at the end 
of time when he's going to vanquish all evil, the Antichrist, which leads us to conclude this is not some partial coming before the Antichrist and the final tribulation, but the coming of Christ after that final push of evil to vanquish the evil and establish the new heaven and the new earth, as Paul put in 1 Corinthians 15, quote unquote, the end. So that would be the first detail, the resurrection of the dead. Okay. So the image that I'm getting of the Catholic view then is Christians will suffer through this time of of tribulation, but there will be still Christians left on the earth. That is correct. Uh, The dead will rise and Christ will come to set all things right. This is the end. And it's at that coming that those Christians who are left on the earth, in a certain sense, uh, after all the those who have died are already they're already with Christ. Now these people get who's ever left, right, will be caught up with the Lord in the air. But those who have died will be resurrected, and we who are left with them being resurrected caught up with the Lord in the air to usher him in to establish the definitive new heaven and the new earth, at which at at the same time happens the vanquishing of all evil. Getting back to your earlier point that we're going to be participating, those who are left will be participating with the Lord in the vanquishing of all evil. Right. So here, chapter 4 and chapter 15 tell the same story. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, 1 Corinthians 15, 15. yeah. Yeah, so it's important that we read 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17, in light of... The same authors. 15, that's right, talking about the resurrection of the dead. All right, anything else from the context of this scripture that we can point to? Yeah, and so just the very detail of the coming of the Lord, Mm -hmm. right? But that the coming of the Lord within the context of this assembling together to meet the Lord. Because remember, Paul says, we who are left will be caught up together with them, those who are being resurrected, with the Lord in the air. Notice you have this motif of assembling together, right, at the coming of the Lord. So now the question is, okay, well, does Paul elsewhere in his writings talk about the coming of the Lord within the context of all the Christians assembling together? And the answer is yes. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, he writes this. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our assembling to meet him, that's a clear indication that what he's talking about here in 2 Thessalonians 2, right, mm-hmm. is the same is the same coming of the Lord where we are assembling together to meet the Lord in the air that he's talking about in 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17. All right? Now yes. watch, check this. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he writes this, for that day, which day? The coming of the Lord when we assemble to meet him. On that day, Paul says, That day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of perdition. So here in 2 Thessalonians 2, he's talking about the coming of the Lord where we're all meeting together to meet him and that will not take place until first happens the Antichrist, which he identifies the man of lawlessness, son of perdition to be the Antichrist. Well, we already established here in 1 Thessalonians 4, he's talking about the same coming of the Lord where we're all meeting together, assembling together to meet him in the air is the only difference there. And so if that's the same coming as he's talking about in 2 Thessalonians 2, well, then this coming of the Lord in 1 Thessalonians 4 cannot be a partial coming before the tribulation. It must be the coming of the Lord 
after the tribulation. Why? Because in 2 Thessalonians 2, Paul says that coming of the Lord, when we're all going to meet together to, to meet him, yeah. assemble together to meet him, that's going to come after the Antichrist. Right, okay. And so if we read, so here's the bottom line. If we read 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17, in light of 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 8, it becomes clear that that coming of the Lord is not happening before the final tribulation. It's happening after the final tribulation. So not only do we have the detail of the resurrection of the dead, but we also have the motif of the assembling together to right. meet the yeah, Lord at his coming, so which comes similar. after yeah. right, right. the final tribulation. So that's two of the three details. And then I have a third detail. Do okay. we have time for that? Yes, please. All right. So the third detail is, and this is interesting because this detail will lead us into our final response to the challenge. Okay. But this detail is the sound of the trumpet of God there in verse 16. Yeah. Now, the, the trumpet of God here, this detail has a twofold purpose as we'll see. But for our purposes here, it provides us a contextual detail to see that this coming of the Lord in 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17 is not a pre-tribulation coming. It's the coming of the Lord at the end of time after the tribulation, okay? And so here's, here's the reason why. Because, once again, we ask the question like we've asked before. Does Paul elsewhere talk about the sound of the trumpet of God in tandem with the coming of the Lord? And he does. Once again, that Bible passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Verses 51 through 53, he talks about the sound of the trumpet of God, which is being heard, the coming of the Lord, which is happening in tandem with, guess what? The resurrection of the dead. Yeah. So both the resurrection of the dead and the sound of the trumpet of God are associated with the coming of the Lord at the end of time. Mm -hmm. And so we come back to 1, Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17. Paul's talking about the coming of the Lord. He's talking about the resurrection of the dead. We already saw how that signals that this is the end of time coming. And he's talking about the sound of the trumpet of God. Another detail with the resurrection of the dead that proves to us in Paul's mind this coming that he's talking about in 1 Thessalonians 4. It's the same. It's that coming that happens at the end of time. Yeah. When everybody's getting resurrected. That's after the final tribulation. And so in light of these contextual details, the resurrection of the dead, the assembling together to meet the Lord in the air right. at his coming, right. and the sound of the trumpet of God, these three details in 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17, when read in light of other passages, yep. leads us to the conclusion Paul's not talking about a pre-tribulation rapture. He's talking about a rapture. We're fine. Sure, We're talking sure. about a rapture. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. Being caught up Taken with the Lord up. in yeah. the air to usher him in to establish the new heaven and the new earth. But that's going to happen at the end of time after the final push of evil. Yeah. Okay. So what you get then from these various like bits is Paul has an image in his mind of what the final conclusion of history is. And all of these fit together as depicting that. Yeah, that all of thing. the pieces fit together to to construct this portrait, yeah. right? Or this yeah. picture of the end of time, the coming of the Lord at the end of time. So if you read 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17 in yeah. isolation, separate from other passages where he's talking about the coming of the Lord, well then, 
given your sort of preconceived imaginative construct, right? Your what right. your imagination's telling you from all these science fiction narratives and what other some Christians are saying in their writings and literature, yeah. you're gonna read into that text in isolation and yeah. like sort of fill in the blanks, right? And but that's not connect what's the said. dots, but dots yeah. that aren't really there in order right. and create your own picture. But when read in light of other passages, it becomes clear that 1 Thessalonians 4, 50-17 is a passage that fits best with the view that Christians will experience the final push of evil and that Christ will come at the end of that final push of evil to vanquish that evil, usher in the new heaven, the new earth at the time of the – in tandem with the bodily resurrection. This doesn't seem like a minor thing to me. Uh, just kind of to conclude with you, because if the Lord, through the the scriptural authors, the human authors of scripture, is conveying these things to us, there's a reason He's conveying them to us, and He, this is preparatory. We we need to be ready, absolutely, for what's actually going to happen. Not be looking for false signs because all that will just confuse us. Right. In the end. Yeah, you're on the right track here. It's, there's some. It's very fruitful for pastoral application or moral application, right? So what does this have to do with my life, right? Yeah. Well, if yeah. Christians are going to have to experience that final push of evil, which St. Paul in his second letter to the Thessalonians talks about a religious deception that will be brought about by the man of lawlessness, son of perdition, Believers who like really believe in Jesus are going to be deceived, right? Yeah. And so, right, wow, right. oh my gosh, I believe in Jesus. Well, what if I'm still alive when the Antichrist comes? Will I be deceived? Will I be deceived? Yeah. And so the question becomes, well, how do I not be deceived? And this is where Paul talks about hold fast to the traditions that you have received to us in First yeah. Second Thessalonians 2.15, whether by word of mouth or written epistle. The point is we must stay close to Holy Mother Church and look to the guidance of the church yes. and the teachings of the church in order to preserve us in the truth, to not be swayed and tossed to and fro with any religious deception that may be the very religious deception of the Antichrist at the end of time yeah. or a religious deception now, which is antichrist and spirit. Yeah. And so it brings up this great reflection like, man, I don't want to be deceived. And even too, Cy, like, I'll be honest with you, man. I don't know if I, <laughs> I know my weaknesses and I know that I cannot say with 100% certainty, yeah, I'm going to be faithful to Jesus if the evil one comes, man. I'm going to stare yeah. evil in the face and conquer the Antichrist. Yeah. Man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that. <laughs> yeah. And so what that does is it puts me in a position to where I'm on my knees, literally begging Jesus, Jesus, if yeah. it is in your providence that I have to face persecution, please give me the grace right. to be courageous and to stare evil in the face and right. conquer it like the martyrs have of old and even to this day. Yeah. Because I can't presume. God don't owe me that grace. No. Right? Right. God don't owe me anything. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, don't open the dead books because he doesn't owe you anything. Right. So yeah. God, I can't presume on that grace because that's something that's yeah. over and above my nature. And you might, so not, and you might not desperately need that grace because... Christians are not going to be raptured before the time of that testing. That's goes. right. Yeah. Given that this pre-tribulation rapture view is false and that Christians who are still here will have to endure it, well, then that gives rise to the request like, holy cow, you know, yeah. Jesus, right. please help me here. Give me the grace if 
I am numbered among those who, who are going to have to undergo that final push of evil. It is beautiful to think of Christ's triumph, though. And one yeah. last detail to cap yeah. it all off. The okay. sound of the trumpet of God. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's, it ain't no secret coming. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, so if you think of the rapture as kind of like, what happened to these people? Right, you know, no, no, like no, the this science is a fiction narrative, event. like you're driving it, like, yeah. you know, and right. everything's going haywire, but people are snatched secretly, right? Yeah. Well, according to Paul here, this coming no. of the Lord, it's with the sound of the trumpet of God, man. Everybody's going to know about it. Right. And so it ain't no secret coming. But that Wonderful. sound of the trumpet signifies the victory of God. Yeah. And we get to participate in it. Praise that. God. Praise God. Amen to that. Thanks, Carlo. Thank you, Sai.